Live from the Haymarket Pub and Brewery in downtown Chicago, this is the Bug House Podcast. Bug House is a Litter Day production, is performed the first Monday of every month. This following podcast was recorded October 2nd, 2017, and featured Annalise Rizik, Joe James, Holly Boudry, Diane Castile, David Himmel, and Don Hall. All right, a brief sort of Cliff Notes version of history will indicate that the turn of the 20th century was politically contentious. We had an isolationist government, a president whose favorite movie was Birth of a Nation, so he was a racist. Yeah, and Washington Square Park here in Chicago was known as Bug House Square. And it was known as Bug House Square because radicals and revolutionaries and crackpots and anarchists would get on soapboxes and debate in that square the, the politics of the day. Jump to the 50s, early 60s, we had ended a war with Korea, and, uh, and we were in the midst of civil rights strife that had never been seen before in this country, in, I mean, other than, I guess, the Civil War, and Studs Terkel decided with the Dill Pickle Society to, to restart the Bug House Square debates, and they would get together and stand on soapboxes, and they would debate the issues of the day. We are now in a time period where our version of political discourse is going online and screaming at each other. We have lost the ability to debate reasonably. We have lost the ability and the art of the dialectic. And the dialectic is to argue your opponent's point persuasively, even if you disagree with it. And thus, here in the Haymarket, pub and brewery, we present Bug House. All right. All right. I'm Don Hall. Here are the rules. Rules are pretty simple. We're going to get right to it. There's no break. We have three bouts. We have six opponents. We will have three winners. Those winners will be chosen by one person. No, we're not doing the audience vote. We're not doing the group of judges vote because we're Americans. We don't have any fucking time for that stuff. So we're going to go with the lesser known from the masterpiece film by Kevin Costner, Swing Vote, where one person represents all of us. And that person is sitting right here, Rebecca Languth. She's randomly chosen. She will heretofore be known as the judge. She does not have to explain her decision. She just has to make her decision. You don't have to agree with it because we're Americans, and that's how it works. You can troll her online about her decisions if you'd like because that's what we do. But she gets to make the decision. The winner of each bout will get to reach into the vintage cornet case filled with 50 envelopes, each one with $1 bill in it, and one of them, showing you, this is proof, a crisp $100 bill. So there is, just like America, 
everything is completely up to fucking luck and chance. <laughs> and so this is going in there, Chris. It is sealed. You've seen it happen. And then, boom. I will shake it up later. So somebody might win 100 bucks. Next month, my wife asked, what happens if nobody finds the $100 bill? Then next month, I'll put another $100 bill in there, and there will be two. So the people that are performing tonight get the shit end of the stick <laughs> in terms of luck. We're going to have three bouts. Those bouts are going to go in the following order. The first question of the day is, does social media make us more narcissistic, and we will see that. The second will be, in the age of anxiety brought upon by Trump, what is better for self-help, chocolate or sex? <laughs> and the third topic will be, should we or should we not impeach our 45th president? Those questions will be answered definitively tonight. <laughs> Once Rebecca Languth, heretofore known as the judge, makes her decision, that is the end of that discussion. It is over and you must accept it. That's just how it works. Ladies and gentlemen, Annalise Rizik. Me, 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 I, I, I. Me, 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 I, I, I. Me, 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 I. Look in the mirror, what do I see? Nothing but. Me, 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 I, I, I. Me, 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 I, I, I. Me, 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 I. I don't do no drink or drugs because I get high on. This should be the theme song of social media. In the last 10 years, we have steadily gained more and more platforms for self-adulation. There's the behemoths, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, and then the field is littered with the lesser knowns and the next big things whose time never quite arrived or came too fast and they flamed out. MySpace, High Five, Periscope, Plaxo, Friendster, Vine, Meerkat. <laughs> never before have we had so many outlets by which to broadcast our ever-important opinions and post endless photographs of ourselves and our perfect, perfect lives. All right, but come on. Our extreme self-centeredness is not entirely the fault of social media. I mean, we're built to be self-absorbed. Look at us. We're all walking around in these individual bodies. We've got this limited field of vision. And just by the laws of physics, we are inescapably at the center of every minute of our lives. We are the constant around which our world spins. And that shit goes to your head. Now add to that inbred bias the development of technology that is designed to addict us and to appeal to our default instinct to be the star of every show. And it is a recipe for egomaniacal disaster. I mean, if I'm the star, then what I have to say is super important. 
I mean, everybody must be waiting to hear my deep thoughts. But then it gets even worse because everyone knows that there's only one star per show. I mean, someone's got to be the bestest. And I must be the star because my body tells me so. I mean, after all, everything that happens to me is so important because it's happening to me. And if I'm the star, well, you can also be the star. But wait, you have an opinion too? No, my opinion rules the world. And of course, I mean, my world is just a blip of a blip of a microsecond in the vast expanse of the universe. But for me, it's all I got. So. So now, I feel anxious because I need to constantly reassert my existence as the center of the universe. And I've been given a global platform on which to do it. I have been given the power of amplification so I can continuously justify my existence as an important person. But millions of other people are doing the same thing. So what we have is an echo chamber for the pronouncement of self. All right, so maybe I'm being a little bit cynical, right? I mean, these platforms were created with good intentions to connect us, to help us bridge time and distance and stay in touch and build a global village and to make money, but we don't have time to get into that right now, so we'll just set that one aside. But this is a good idea that people adopted and then fucked up because that's what we do. <laughs> but I'm, I know it doesn't sound like it, but I'm actually kind of an optimist or maybe I'm just incredibly stupid because I keep looking for redemption. Like now, like the bright side of our current political situation is that there's a rising consciousness about privilege and racism. And many times I've seen someone post something on Facebook about one of these difficult subjects and thought, oh good, I'm interested in what other people think. Maybe we can have a discussion about these ideas. But what follows in the comments is more often than not just a series of individual diatribes, hardened perspectives. I mean, people want everyone to know what they think, but they are not really interested in what you think. And then what you get is the battle of I'm right. Now sometimes, because I'm optimistic or stupid, I will ask someone a question about something that they've written because, believe it or not, I'm actually trying to understand. And more often than not, the response I get back is defensive or downright hostile. I mean, I need to stop testing the waters like this. It never goes anywhere good. I mean, have any of you ever witnessed an actual exchange of ideas on Facebook? Really, anybody? I mean, no, okay. At the same time that social media plays to our grandiosity and craving for admiration, it also reinforces feeling like shit, which, believe it or not, is part of the same disease. So just imagine a line that we will call the continuum of self. And at one end of this line is the uh, I'm the greatest in the world. And at the other end is, I'm the world's biggest piece of shit. Both extremes of that continuum reflect an excessive interest in self. Now, personally, I have always struggled with the I'm a piece of shit side. 
And social media provides plenty of fodder to feed that beast, too. Like the good idea of having a place to let people know what you're up to, like should they be interested, like, hey, I'm doing this show on Monday night, if you want to come. In some cases, balloons into an, air quotes, humble description of someone's many accomplishments, passively prompting people to then post comments about how amazing this person is. I know I should not read these things, but sometimes it's midnight and I'm tired and weak and I've been combing the internet looking for symptoms of spinal meningitis because I'm convinced I'm dying and I decide to take a break and look at Facebook, why? And then I read this shit and I wonder how come nobody ever tells me how amazing I am? How come no one's recognizing all the pain and trials and tribulations I bravely faced? How come no one's affirming my brilliance and big-heartedness and the miracle of me? And now, not am I only dying, but no one thinks I'm great and I'm gonna die alone and no one's coming to my funeral. <laughs> None of us is immune. Me, 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 I Look in the mirror, what do I see? Nothing but. My friend Joe wants to be an ordained minister. My friend Stephanie is trying to lose weight and is looking for support. My friend Michael is celebrating autumn by taking his four-year-old shopping for gourds. My friend Aaron is pushing 40, not wearing makeup, and feeling good. <laughs> My friend Anita thinks she's a tiger. The first known status update was posted in 40,000 BC on the wall of a cave. <laughs> Created in emojis, researchers believe it says, that woolly mammoth was owned. <laughs> Hashtag good eaten. Hashtag you're welcome. <laughs> we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to be liked. These are not the urges of a narcissist. These are basic human wants built into our DNA. Facebook helps remind us that we are here and we are not alone. Everyone on Facebook is a star, and that means no one is a star. It's an even playing field. People post the intricacies of their lives because it is important. It's their life. It's happening to them. If it's important to my friend, it's important to me. Unless it's about that dream you had last night or a date you had the other day, then I'll just keep scrolling. My black friends on Facebook remind me that there's shit I just don't know. My most compassionate friends remind me that there's more I can be doing to make a difference than being on Facebook. <laughs> my sick friends let me know about their health. My grieving friends let me know how they're doing. My talented friends remind me they have a show I can go see and I can let them know that I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> my immediate and extended family remind me that they are alive and that we are related and that many of them are really cool and that a few of them really think 45 is doing great and that Hillary should be in jail. Facebook has made us more vulnerable. 
Facebook has softened our ego. People share bad news, the death of a loved one, diagnosis of cancer, a rough day. All the stuff that if you were telling me in real life face to face, I would fake getting a text message and head towards the exit. But it's on Facebook, so I get to see it and I can just keep strolling. I don't have to lie. Facebook has melted our hard candy shells. We are letting people into our lives. Old friends, new friends, coworkers, distant relatives, strangers that we, for some reason, are calling friends. <laughs> My friend Sherry is having trouble sleeping. My friend John is rebounded from a heart attack he had a year ago. My friend Janice had a great weekend in Ireland with her family. My friend Leslie has a cat and dog that love to cuddle. We are writing our biographies in real time. And when we die, we have left a way to be remembered that's better than a tombstone. I can visit my father and my uncle and look through their pictures and read their words, their own words. I get to be with them as they were at that time. On Facebook, we graciously give others the permission to get to know us better by sifting through a virtual museum of, of our lives. We are an open book. Even if you don't post very personal information, I can get who you are by if you think a meme is the same as a fact. Or if you didn't bother to check that source of that news story you linked to, I know who you are. <laughs> and who you voted for. <laughs> We share our lives on Facebook. Was there some other thing we're supposed to be doing on this planet while we're here? If you are not on Facebook, I wonder what you are hiding. <laughs> Facebook is just another way we cave people right on walls. It's what we do. We let people know we are here and that what we do is important to us. If it weren't for Facebook, I wouldn't know that all my friends in Las Vegas are safe. If it weren't for Facebook, I wouldn't know how adorable my niece's new baby is. And if it weren't for Facebook, I wouldn't know how cute bats are while eating fruit. <laughs> or that I want most in life a baby goat wearing pajamas. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah! All right, you have... That social media has made us far more narcissistic by Annalise Rizik and that it is a, a, a boon to mankind. From Joe Janes, we now turn to the judge. Judge, who has convinced you that their point is most valid? Joe Janes! of chocolate versus sex very seriously. I researched this quite a bit over the last couple weeks and I can tell you, I've gained five pounds and I'm extremely sore. <laughs> but what I realized is that there are a lot of similarities between chocolate and sex. It's good for your heart. Dark chocolate can lower the risk of heart disease while sex can lower the risk of heart attacks. Um, they enhance your mood by providing pleasure. You can do it alone. And both, both may contain nuts. 
I also like my sex like my chocolate, vanilla, meaning missionary and only on special occasions. <laughs> actually, during my research, I realized that many chocolates actually sound very sexual. Butterfingers, Mr. Goodbar, Three Musketeers. <laughs> but this is a debate, and I'm here to prove why sex is better for you than chocolate. I remember growing up, and my mother had a motivational magnet on her fridge. Warning, chocolate makes your clothes shrink. I'm glad you're sitting down for this. That's right, chocolate causes weight gain. I've got chills. You can gain like five pounds in a matter of weeks without even realizing it. I know what I'm talking about. I was addicted to chocolate as a child. I used to love going to the convenience store around the corner from a grandma's house. They had all my faves, Hostess cupcakes, Twix, Kit Kats. I remember walking from a store with a brown paper bag filled with treats when a teenage boy came up to me. What do you have in that bag, he said, and he pulled from his pocket what appeared to be a switchblade. Or it could have been a comb, it happened so quickly. Either way, it was scary. I screamed, held onto that bag for dear life, and just ran. I could have been stabbed, or my hair could have been combed. Either way, I risked my life for a Kit Kat. A Kit Kat. But you know what doesn't make you gain weight? Sex. Experts estimate 30 minutes of sex burns 85 to 150 calories. What? So not only are you not gaining weight because of sex, you're actually burning calories. So in this case, a moment on the lips is actually great for those hips. <laughs> it's also important to have that physical content, uh, contact. I was celibate for years. It got so bad I actually get chills when someone would shake my hand. <laughs> touch. I remember human touch. <laughs> Most of us can also remember the first time we popped the cherry, we were deflowered, we had our sweet sexteen, broke the lawn chair. But do you remember the first time you chomped, munched, consumed chocolate? Again, that sounds very sexual. And let's be clear, chocolate is not food, it's poison. Chocolate contains sugar, caffeine, lead, and some other things that I am confident I would not be able to pronounce correctly. I don't know about you, but I'm also very concerned about a little thing called global warming. The farming process of cocoa can damage the environment depending on the practices of the farmer. As the cocoa production accelerates in Peru, the Amazon rainforest is becoming a target for its land. Do you have the time to research where every single piece of chocolate you consume comes from? I sure don't. <laughs> but with sex, we are completely empowered to be eco-friendly. Condoms are technically biodegradable. There are a ton of eco-friendly products around these days. There's also the old practice of pull out and pray. That certainly doesn't kill trees. <laughs> Sex is not only fun to do, but fun to talk about. I don't meet up with my girlfriends for brunch to talk about the hot cup of chocolate I drank the night before, or debating if left Twix is better than the right Twix, which it isn't. I know this may be bittersweet to some of you, <laughs> but after weeks, I realize there are many benefits of sex, which makes it better. It eases stress, it improves sleep, burns calories, you live longer, and you're a more positive, happy person. What is it?
What are you doing here? What, did you follow me in here, you psycho? You know we can't hang out anymore, all right? You gotta get. Are you listening to me? Look at me when I'm talking to you, all right? You gotta get out of here. You're not good for me. You're poisoned. You're poisoned. I killed it. I killed chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate is better than sex for self-help. This is because chocolate is better than anything under pretty much any circumstances. We all know this to be true. How many times have you heard it? Oh my God, I love chocolate. I'm a chocoholic. I can't get enough. I need it every day. I can't say no. But how often really do you hear that about sex? Isn't it true that people are just as likely to be complaining about it? They don't get enough, they don't get any, or they're tired, they have a headache. Why the hell does he keep trying to do that? Why the hell can't she just do this? Be honest, people. Sex brings as much angst as joy. And the question is, do you want to spin that roulette wheel when you're in a funk? But I realize I'm here to make a case and not just state the obvious, so let me break it down for you. Behold, the seven reasons why chocolate is better than sex or self-help. Reason number one. I think you're gonna get where I'm going with this. Chocolate can make anyone feel good. Not true about sex. You can't tell your 12-year-old daughter or your octogenarian neighbor feeling bummed out? Go fuck someone. You'll feel so much better. <laughs> but you can hand anyone a tasty chocolate treat, and I guarantee you they'll perk right up. They'll smile, you'll probably get a hug, and they'll wolf it down. And yeah, they'll feel better almost immediately because reason number two, chocolate is the love drug. According to the website Medicine Hunter, <laughs> Chocolate is a complex material possessing numerous co compounds that act upon the brain, producing a sense of delight that no other substance can replicate. Specifically, chocolate is a very efficient delivery system for one, caffeine, enough said on that, and two, serotonin. We all know this to be the happy hormone playing a major role in positive mood, emotional health, proper sleep, and balanced appetite. And ho, oh, what's this? Serotonin also, quote, increases sexual excitation, desire, and responsiveness. So even if you're gonna believe this bullshit about sex being better for self-help than chocolate, you're gonna need chocolate to get there. <laughs> Reason number three. Chocolate is affordable for practically anyone, and it's easy to shoplift for everyone else, and you can get it practically anywhere. See this skanky dump? Would you buy gas or get your Jiffy lubed here? But walk inside and behold their dedicated chocolate display. <laughs> there are like 15 different options on that rack, including high-end Dove bars. I have never seen socks for sale 
Sorry, back up, skip the paragraph. I recently saw chocolate for sale on a farm, an actual working farm, little gift shop selling corn husk dolls and old horseshoes and whatnot, two consumables, water and bonbon, which is French for good, good. I have never seen socks for sale on a farm or the jewel or even Whole Foods or the million other places you can get chocolate, coffee shops, movie theater, bookstores, gas stations. Okay, you can find sex for sale at some gas stations, but not high quality sex, not dove sex. Reason number four, nobody caught anything from chocolate except maybe a few extra pounds. Totally worth it. Now you might be thinking, but many people overeat as a coping mechanism. Isn't that a risk? Madison Hunter Diane? True, but you can't overconsume chocolate without also overconsuming caffeine and serotonin, so it's a wash. Besides, you can lose weight, eat right, exercise. Try losing herpes. <laughs> Reason number five. Sorry for everybody who's eating. Reason number five. Chocolate goes with anything. Yeah, I'm leaving it up there. <laughs> Endlessly inventive combinations. Fresh fruit, dry fruit, nuts, peanut butter, toffee, coffee, marshmallows, nougat, caramel, pretzels, wafers, ice cream, cake, rice, vegetables, <laughs> even main dishes. The list goes on and on. Those are Cheetos. Hot pepper. That's a corn dog. Those are onions. That's a scorpion. This is not true for sex. Sure, some people will argue that sex also offers practically endless variety of options, but for more than the basics, usually persuasion and or bribery is involved. How much persuasion does it take to talk a person eating to anything covered in chocolate? The number one fastest growing snack in America is chocolate covered bacon. <laughs> Reason number six, no judgment. Chocolate never rejected anyone. It doesn't care about your race, religion, ethnicity, citizen status, gender, sexual orientation, attractiveness, weight, height, profession, bank account, GGG quotient, how big you are, how small you are, how tight you are, whether you have scars or birthmarks or all your body parts or hair or cellulite or rashes or whatever the fuck else we obsess over. Chocolate loves you the way you are. <laughs> because it has no eyes. It cannot see you. It doesn't have a nose. It cannot smell you. It has no hands. It can, well, you get the idea. Next slide. The final reason why chocolate is better than sex or self-help is that chocolate is guaranteed good. Few things in life come with guarantee, but I think we can all agree that chocolate is one of them. They say there's no such thing as bad sex, but that is bullshit. Everybody knows there are few things worse than bad sex. What's the worst that can happen with chocolate? 
you get milk when you want it dark. You have to share with the mooch sitting next to you. And yeah, it stains. But that's about as bad as it gets. And the rewards, as I've amply demonstrated, are endless. Unless, of course, you're allergic. If that's the case, go fuck someone. Yeah! <laughs> all right, Miss Diane Castile, that's Holly Boudry. Judge! Who has convinced you of their take? Is it chocolate or is it sex? Yeah. Chocolate. chocolate wins, Diane Castile wins for chocolate. Now here's the thing. The final debate is between the two literate ape co-editors. Myself and David Himmel. David Himmel, he and I had a difference in lifestyle changes not too long, about six months ago. I went from a full-time job to freelance work. He went from freelance work to a full-time job. He is learning tonight how fucking shitty the full-time job is. <laughs> because his full-time job on the night that we were opening the show sent him to Dallas, Texas, which is where he is at right now. But he has created a video to make his point. I'm speaking to you from an undisclosed location. I'm in hiding right now. Why? Because Donald Trump wants to kill me. I'm being cautious, but I'm not terribly concerned. Trump has been able to get the government or his own people behind him to do much of anything, so I doubt the guy can successfully complete a hit out on me. The only thing Trump can do is accidentally make things worse for people, and that's why, that is why we have to impeach the guy. The reasons are obvious. He may well have committed treason, either directly or indirectly, by allegedly colluding with Russia to influence the election. He may well have broken the law by allegedly intervening and trying to influence the federal investigation into that collusion. It's only been nine months since he's been in office, and I'm all for giving people time to figure out the new job. However, it is apparent that this baby needs to be thrown out with the bathwater. This infant needs a sudden and severe case of SIDS. This administration has barely functioned without filling key positions while coming apart at the seams, busting a button off its coat in anger and idiocy on almost a weekly basis with each firing or resignation of advisors, cabinet members, and other staffers, and the ongoing contradictions from those still hanging around for the paycheck or whatever fucking self-destructive reason they're still hanging around. Trump is so incompetent and polarizing that even with his hateful GOP controlling all three branches of government, he can't get a thing through. And that's good because the things he wants to get through are obviously bad for the growth and healing of this nation. What this means, however, is that he's not getting his way. And when an egomaniacal, mentally deranged, retarded fancy boy doesn't get his way, he pouts and lashes out. And that's why we might go to war. War with who? That's a great question. With fucking everyone. Christ, he's picking a fight with Puerto Rico right now. Puerto Rico, a territory of the United States. 
They may not have electricity or anything right now, but they are in their right minds to take whatever they do have and get to the United States, the mainland right now, and tear the White House down brick by brick. And then there's North Korea. That's where you got two bumbling pindicks with daddy issues and the haircuts to prove it flinging fighting words at each other. And hey, hey, we'll lose that war. We'll lose that war with North Korea. You know why? Because Trump is insulting Kim Jong-un with Elton John lyrics, while Un is using words that most of us had to look up on our smartphone dictionary apps. That's the kind of military leadership we have right now. The only way we win a war with North Korea is if they nuke us. Yeah, they have to nuke us. That sweet, hot release is the only way around the terror that would otherwise come to us. Just imagine the Twitter fit Trump will have if he loses a war. Fuck. Imagine it. Imagine it. Hiroshima? Nagasaki? They won't have shit on us. We'd be better off using napalm as contact solution or using fucking sewing needles as Q-tips. All in all, the guy's a shithead. We knew that. That's no surprise. I've hated the guy since Home Alone 2. Really. If we are the land of law and order, then treason is reason enough. We just need to get cracking on the investigation and prosecution. And if he comes out clean, well, then we'll have to hope that he pulls a huge Nixon soon. All right, so let's talk about what happens after impeachment. Pence. The virgin. So what? That virgin won't hurt us. Well, not permanently, anyway. Yeah, Pence is a real politician and a human and a grown-up. He'll be able to rally the branches of government and the administration to build that wall! Ban Muslims, make all of us virgins again. He'll see to it that foreskin is reapplied to all circumcised men while female babies are born without clits. He'll make matzah illegal to eat in Jewish homes. Gays will no longer be able to enjoy Lady Gaga, or Madonna, or Judy Garland films, or bathroom stalls. He'll see to it that Liza Minnelli finally has that overdose she's been rehearsing for since 1956. It'll be an executive order. We might see fewer police shootings of innocent black men and women because, well, he'll make it illegal for black people to leave their homes unless they're on their way to jail or to serve Ms. Morning Porridge. Domestically, Pence will be a fucking horrific nightmare. But Pence will put Russia in its place because Pence doesn't have any business interests at risk by doing so. Pence won't threaten to undegrunny North Korea with fire and brimstone or whatever. It won't be easy, but we'll survive Pence. Oh, and as far as healthcare goes, look, the waterheads in Congress have shown us that they're too incompetent to ever pass their own hateful death decree on us, so there. Bring on Pence, the virgin. We'll be able to undo his shit. You think I won't get circumcised again? Oh, I will. Yeah, you're wrong there. I'll do it again and again and again and again. You think that... You think the gays can't keep Liza Minnelli alive in their hearts? You think that I can't keep Liza Minnelli alive in my heart? You're wrong again. And really, what Pence does to blacks and Muslims, it won't be any worse than what this country's done to them since, since the beginning of this country, at every turn for centuries? Come on. Fuck it. Kick them all out of the country. Almost anywhere else is better for blacks and Muslims than this country. They can come back in 2020 when Pence is voted out and... This country has missed them. They realize that finally, they understand the benefit that 
of having people in this country that aren't just white, Christian, gun-carrying virgins afraid of rap music and gay weddings. Lesson learned. We get it. If Trump stays in the presidency, we're all going to die. As much as I love that scene in Terminator 2 where Sarah Connor's blown away into a skeleton shaking the fence, I don't really want it to happen to us. I love shaking fences surrounding playgrounds. And if by accident Trump does something he talked about doing, he might actually kill me. I know he wants to. But here's the thing. After Trump is impeached, expelled from office, booted out of the White House, run out of Washington on a rail, forced into exile into his golden chamber he calls an apartment and his son Barron calls a torture chamber a living nightmare, Trump needs to die. He should live long enough to see the ultimate disgrace, the ultimate failure, and then pathetically try and turn it into a win. Which he will. I'm the most disgraced president ever, believe me. Nixon and Fillmore were total losers, total bums, big bums. I can't do Donald Trump. I can't do him at all, but fuck it. That's a perk. That's a perk of being me. I can't do Donald Trump. Give the guy a week, tops. Then he has a massive heart attack or catches the flu that Hillary Clinton had on the campaign trail. That's what finally kills him. Something, something natural. Something in his sleep. That's fine. It can be in his sleep. It can be peaceful. But death must come. Because that's the only way we'll ever truly be safe from Donald J. Trump. It's the only way to stop the Trump train. But first, we have to impeach him. On a wet and windy night, John White, along with his wife and son, Herbert, await the arrival of an old friend, Sergeant Morris, who has been stationed in India for several years and has just recently returned home. When the guest arrives, the conversation soon turns to the mysteries of India. Mr. White is fascinated by the discussion of faraway places and ideas. During the conversation, we learn that Morris has brought back a very unusual artifact the mummified paw of a monkey, which carries with it a magic spell which can bring three different men three separate wishes. Morris makes it very clear that though the wishes are always granted, the results always bring disaster. He explains that he'd gotten the paw from its first owner, whose third and last wish was for his death. Morris also explains that he himself had three wishes, thus leaving one more set of three wishes. The sergeant, feeling that the paw has done enough damage, throws it into the fireplace to burn. Mr. White grabs it from the fire, and Morris warns White that he should let it burn. Mr. White, though, keeps the paw, and even forces Morris to accept a few dollars for it. After dinner, Sergeant Morris leaves. Herbert scoffs makes fun of the idea that the paw can make wishes come true, but recommends that his father wish for $25,000. Herbert, who works the late shift at a nearby dam, leaves for work, and Mr. and Mrs. White go to bed. The next morning, while the Whites are fixing breakfast, a man from the dam comes to tell them that Herbert has been killed in an accident at work. 
and that they are named as beneficiary on the insurance policy, a policy for $25,000. The Whites buried their son in a nearby cemetery. A few days later, the distraught Mrs. White remembers the monkey's paw and its two remaining wishes and insists that her husband wish Herbert back to life. Later, there is a pounding at the front door, but the latch is stuck. A shuffling, a moaning, and a pounding at the stuck door. Mrs. White, believing it is Herbert, hurries down to open the door. A moaning, a shuffling, and a pounding. The door latch is stuck. And in an instant before Mrs. White can get the door to open, Mr. White grabs the paw and makes a final wish. He wishes his son dead and at peace. And the knocking ceases. Modern life is chock full of compromises based on the specific things we really want but probably don't need. More important, the consequences of these unnecessary but tasty treats are often far worse than we could possibly imagine. We wish for easy access to credit and loans so that we can buy things that we want but probably don't need. What the monkey's paw gives us is 39% interest rates that obliterate the possibility of ever getting out of debt. We wish for cheap goods and services. What the monkey paw grants us, the slow demise of American factories and the destruction of unions. We wish for amazing smartphones and computing devices, computers that once took up whole rooms that can now fit in our back pocket. What the monkey's paw grants, sweatshops and the economic subjugation of Chinese workers, which in turn begins the global economic domination of China. We wish for fast food. Monkey's paw gives us fat food. We wish for the ability to fully interact with society via Facebook and Twitter, thus making these platforms the crucial information dispersal forums for our news, our facts, our beliefs, and our activism. What the monkey's paw throws in our face is propaganda, relentless sales pitches, the demise of journalism, and President Donald Trump. In the age of immediacy, instant information with a few keystrokes, instant food through a drive through window, instant withdrawals from our bank accounts, we want things, but we don't take the time to truly look and see what the concomitant consequences will be should we get them. Americans want security. We want to feel like we can walk out of our homes and not be assaulted for the $8.35 we have in our pockets. We want to be able to go downtown in a major city and conveniently avoid being blown up or shot by someone who sees our country or us or our skin color or anything as the enemy. So we tend to turn a blind eye to the system required to guarantee that security. We allow our government to send drones overseas, just blow people up. We bitch and moan about the military industrial complex, but we don't vote. We voice our negative opinion of stop and frisk policies, but when it comes to really doing something about it, we're too busy. Because these are all things that come with the wish 
upon the monkey's paw. Americans want privacy, but we also want security. Ah, oh, fuck, that monkey's paw, Mephistopheles gets us every time, right? We wish for the impeachment of Donald J. Trump. The monkey's paw gives us someone who will work with Mitch McConnell, who will work with Paul Ryan and Ted Cruz, who will work with Republican governors in most of the states of our union. What the monkey's paw hands us, shuffling, moaning, is President Mike Pence, who is not just the gay right, anti-gay right guy from Indiana, but the trickle down, down economic, anti-Medicare, anti-immigration, truly evil man sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Make the pounding on the door cease. Thank you. And judge, I do not want the fact that David Kimmel is in Dallas, Texas, and I am right here. I do not want it to affect your decision in any way. This is the hardest one because it's the one that matters the most. Yeah. So judge, is it impeach Trump or not wish on that monkey's paw? I'm going to give it to Himmel. Himmel gets it! Oh. He will be very happy. Thank you, and that's it. Enjoy the night. To see the show live, go to literateape.com slash events and find Bug House on the calendar. Music for the podcast is provided by Local Motive and Mike Venopel. The Bug House Podcast is a Literate Ape production. Literate Ape. We're all just apes who learn to read. Literate Ape.